Hey everyone, welcome back to the Assurance in Action podcast. My name is Ashley Spann. I'm a food contact regulatory project manager here at Intertech, and this is our third episode uh, looking at food contact regulations in the U.S., and we're going to do things a little bit differently this time around. As you can see, I'm going to be the host today, and we're going to put the spotlight on Tommy Savaris, uh, our food contact compliance manager, who will be educating us about food contact regulations at the state level. Thanks, Ashley. I'm looking forward to sitting in your seat uh, this time around and having this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely get used to this change. So. <laughs> <laughs> so our last two episodes really focused on how the US FDA regulates food contact materials and articles at the federal level. But I think the point that we want to drive home today is that you can't overlook the local regulations, right? Yeah, that's right, Ashley. The FDA doesn't prevent local governments from instituting their own regulations or restrictions. So manufacturers really need to be aware of what local governments are putting into place. And that, and there has been a lot of activity in this area recently, um, and we'll talk about that today. Great. Well, I think we're ready to get going. So let's start with this. Are there any regulations that states are putting into place that are similar in nature or part of a sort of coordinated effort among multiple states? Yeah, actually, uh, there, there are. Uh, for decades, dozens of states have put restrictions on the amount of lead, mercury, cadmium, and hexavalent chromium allowed in packaging material. Many of our listeners may recall at some point testing for these metals to meet Koenig requirements. In the 70s, governors of the northeastern states, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, Rhode Island, and Vermont, created the Coalition of Northeastern Governors, or CONEG. This organization developed the model legislation to reduce the levels of these four heavy metals, which many states adopted in some form. In the 90s, CONEG established the Toxics in Packaging Clearinghouse, or TPCH, to carry on this task with the aim to reduce the presence of harmful substances in packaging and packaging components. So it is more common now to seek compliance with TPCH requirements. And with updated model legislation put into place as recently as 2021, states are paying attention to the TPCH and how they can adopt new measures. Okay, so you refer to TPCH as having model legislation. Is this sort of like a template that states use when they craft their own regulations? Exactly. Okay, great. So what's included in the 2021 TPCH update? Are there states that are taking steps to be in line with it? Well, the, the 2021 model legislation still has the limitation on incidental presence of those four heavy metals we discussed. The sum cannot exceed 100 parts per million or 0.01%, and you can't use them intentionally. As for the new stuff, there is a prohibition on intentional use of PFAS and on intentional use of phthalates. There's now a limitation on incidental presence of phthalates, 100 parts per million or 0.01%, and a limitation on incidental presence of PFAS. It can't be detected. The legislation now also outlines processes and criteria for identifying and regulating additional chemicals of high concern. And yeah, there are plenty of examples of states taking action to address PFAS and phthalates, but no state has amended its current toxics and packaging law 
to add the updated model legislation language in its entirety. Some states have adopted certain provisions, but not all of them. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about the substances that were added to the TPCH, like the phthalates and the PFAS. Sure. Well, uh, let's start with the phthalates. The TPCH defines phthalates as all members of the class of organic chemicals that are, are esters of phthalic acid and contain two carbon chains located in the ortho position. Phthalates are used as plasticizers that aid in making plastics soft and less brittle, commonly PVC, and as components of adhesives, lubricants, and sealants. This brings up a good opportunity to point out where the U.S. federal government and the states start to diverge. The FDA currently allows nine phthalates in food contact applications, whereas the TPCH model legislation prohibits intentional use and limits incidental presence of any phthalate. The state of Maine has a regulation in effect right now that mimics this requirement. Okay, thanks, Tommy. So then what can you tell us about the PFAS? Well, I'm sure by now most people have heard about PFAS in the news or online and how they don't break down easily, persisting in the environment. They're a group of man-made chemicals that really became popular to use because of their effectiveness in resisting grease, oil, water, and heat. There are thousands of PFAS with varying chemical structures and chemical and physical properties. As with phthalates, the federal government and local governments differ with regard to PFAS. Many regulations define them as fluorinated organic chemicals containing at least one fully fluorinated carbon atom. The EPA's working definition is that they are chemicals with at least two adjacent carbon atoms where one carbon atom is fully fluorinated and the other is at least partially fluorinated. Some PFAS are authorized by the FDA for limited use in cookware, food packaging, and food processing equipment. However, there have been recent actions taken after safety concerns have been raised. Long chain or C8 compounds authorized by FCNs or food contact notifications were phased out. Additionally, the FDA amended uh, applicable 21 CFR regulations to remove certain long chain PFAS. Then in 2020, the FDA phased out some short chain PFAS that were authorized via multiple FCNs with cooperation from manufacturers. At the state level, we've seen a big push to regulate PFAS. Most are focused on prohib prohibiting the intentional use of PFAS, but it may depend on the application and product. Some states may regulate PFAS in fiber-based food contact materials, others in pizza boxes, some in cookware. It really depends on the state. Some of the states that our listeners should take a look at are Vermont, Connecticut, Washington State, Maine, New York, Colorado, California, Rhode Island, Hawaii, Maryland, Minnesota, but this isn't a comprehensive list by any means. I also don't want to forget about bisphenol A, commonly known as BPA. The FDA does not allow BPA to be used in infant sippy cups, but some states go beyond this. For instance, Vermont, Connecticut, and Washington prohibit BPA in reusable sports bottles. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of states have the same kind of idea, but they could be unique in the way that they write their own legislation. Exactly. Yeah, I would recommend researching each state's specific requirements as a blanket approach could end up causing you to miss something. Yeah, that definitely seems like a good idea. Well, let's give that a shot now. How about, say, California? That would seem like a good place to start. Yeah, sure. Well, California follows the TPCH limitations for metals, 
we discussed earlier. But in addition, they have what's known as AB 1200. Article one of this regulation says that plant-based food packaging cannot have any intentionally added PFAS, and the regulation limits non-intentional PFAS to 100 parts per million as measured in total organic fluorine, or TOF. Article two says cookware that contains one or more intentionally added chemicals present on the designated list in the handle of the product or in any product surface must meet the disclosure requirement. This designated list is a list of chemicals which is published on the Department of Toxic Substances Control's internet website that exhibit a hazard trait or an environmental or toxicological endpoint that meets the criteria uh, specified in regulations adopted by the Department of Toxic Substances Control in California. Of course, California also has Proposition 65 or Prop 65, which has labeled requirements for a huge list of chemicals based on their exposure to consumers. Many people don't realize that the key to this regulation is exposure levels. The presence of a chemical on Prop 65 isn't necessarily the end of the world. That's a lot of good information, Tommy. California sounds like they have a lot, but what about, let's say, another state? Well, I won't get into too many details, but I would say Maine and Washington are two states that really have been marching forward with these types of restrictions. One interesting thing to share is that Maine's definition of food packaging includes plastic disposable gloves used in commercial or institutional food service, not something that maybe you would uh, necessarily think about. Maine also now has the authority to identify chemicals of high concern. These can be elevated to priority food contact chemicals, which will trigger reporting requirements for their presence and intentional use. Yeah, that's interesting. So <clears throat> with so many newer regulations in place, I'm sure that our listeners might need some assistance with navigating everything. What can Intertech do to help? Good question. Well, we have a great team of toxicologists that have unbelievable expertise in performing Proposition 65 assessments. They can assess exposure levels and even develop safe harbor levels as part of the assessment. We also have a great network of Intertech labs that can conduct testing to support compliance with those regulatory limitations we discussed. Phthalates, PFAS, total fluorine, BPA, TPCH metals. We can offer all of this to our customers with great turnaround time. Well, that's great news. So it sounds like our listeners would be able to get any of the support that they would need from your team. Yeah, they sure can. And if they want to learn more, they can visit uh, our website, intertech.com backslash assure us backslash food dash contact or they can contact us at 561-989-7294. Great thanks Tommy I'm sure that they'll take you up on that offer. So with that I hope you all enjoyed this episode and the final of the three-part assurance in action podcast series on food contact regulations in the U.S. Uh, Don't worry if you missed one of the episodes because if you did, you can easily download it from the website that Tommy just mentioned. Uh, And Tommy, thanks for providing us with your insight today. You definitely, I think, uh, raised the bar even from what I did. (laughs) Thanks, Ashley. That means a lot. It was a pleasure, and I hope we helped some folks with this series. And I hope we get a chance to do another one in the future. Yeah, definitely. Me too. And thanks to everyone for listening. Have a wonderful day.